0: Welcome to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery is all things cowboy essence. People at their best, accomplishing extraordinary achievements. Cowboy essence is defined by the character qualities we admire in others. Inspired by the cowboy culture, the code that guides Babbitt Ranches. Hi, I'm Billy Cordasco. Observing, learning, and participating with the environment is a dynamic process that can be as much of an art as it is a science. No one understands that better than Arizona Game and Fish Department Landowner Relations Program Specialist, Stephen Cassidy. For 44 years, most of that time spent in Arizona, Steve has been on the ground, studying soils, vegetation, changing climate conditions, and how all of these components interact. His experience, knowledge, and trusted relationships with ranchers are highly valued among the land management agencies and all of us in the ranching industry.
1: I've learned probably as much from the ranchers out there, their observations, as I have from you know, my own observations.
0: I mean, you gotta use it all. We'll hear more from Steve in a moment. But first, Discovery with Babbitt Ranches acknowledges the Society for Range Management. These members are dedicated to leading the stewardship of rangelands by promoting science, learning, and collaboration. They focus on all aspects of the range, including soil and plant communities, non-native invasive species, and weather patterns. Joining me in the Hashknife studio is Stephen Cassidy. After retiring from a long career with the Natural Resource Conservation Service, the NRCS, he missed being in the field, monitoring the plants, and observing what was happening on the land. He especially missed working with the ranchers and supporting them in their efforts to improve grasslands. It is with a great deal of respect that we welcome Stephen Cassidy. Good morning, Steve. Morning, Billy. How are you? Good. It sure is great to see you. This is really special you're here today. Looking forward to all the insight that you have on everything from soil and vegetation to your career insights and hope for the future. And I would like to start off by just asking a little bit of background. And interestingly, um, just uh, for everybody listening, uh, where were you born?
1: I was born in Sacramento, California. Uh, my dad had just joined the Sacramento Fire Department. My mom had retired, not retired. She'd quit her job at the bank so she could take care of me. Kind of had a, in my opinion anyway, kind of an idyllic life growing up there in Sacramento. We, we moved when I was 10 to a place that was actually out, it was still within the city limits of Sacramento, but just barely, and it was all farmed all around us. It was a little starting to be a subdivision, and like I said, I was 10, and right away, I found out there was all kinds of cool places to go wander around. And within a couple of years, I convinced my dad that we needed to start hunting again. He had when he was a kid. And literally, I could walk out my back door and, and be out where I could go hunting within five minutes, you know. And oh, wow. and the farmers got to know me real good. And me and my buddies, you know, it wasn't just me. But literally, stone's throw from us was the Sacramento River. So we were down there goofing off, mostly getting in trouble. but fishing and carrying on and, and stuff like that. So I had a, a background of growing up outside all the time, which I think probably most kids did back then. My dad on the side, he'd been in construction when he was younger and he kept that trade and he, he actually built all the houses we lived in and we moved three times, I think, no, tw- just twice. But I helped him build two of the places he he built and so I kind of picked up. From that too, and literally oh, was wow. worked in construction when I was in college to pay my way through school and stuff. And oh, perfect. You like a lot of kids back then. I thought, well, I'm going to become an engineer or something like that as I was coming out of high school and deciding what I was going to do in college. But I had a cousin that had gone to school and had gotten a job with the Utah Department of Wildlife Resources and in, in fisheries is what he was into. And we'd hunted and goofed off and done some stuff together growing up. And he said, you know, you like doing this stuff. You ought to go into this kind of thing. Yeah. And so I did. I said, well, I'll look into it. And I went over and, and I decided I was going to go to Davis. And I was thinking
0: engineering.
1: But, but I went over and talked to a counselor in wildlife management. And he said, you know, based on what you tell me you're interested in, you would probably be better in our range program. And awesome. so I went and talked to, to the guys over there. They said, sign up, join up. We, you know, you, yeah. s- you sound like a perfect candidate. And so I did. And two years later, I graduated with my range degree from, from UC Davis. And
0: With a degree in hand, a passion for rangeland, and interest in studying and improving the conditions of soil and plant communities, Steve landed jobs with land management agencies in Colorado and Utah in the mid-1970s.
1: The inventory part was a lot of fun yeah it was kind of i mean it was really a lot of fun we did a lot of horsebacking and stuff too camping out and but what was kind of an eye-opener was realizing that this data you were gathering and how you manipulated it was going to have a big impact on those ranchers ability to
0: to ranch after a couple years an opening with the soil conservation service the scs which later became the natural resource conservation service the nrcs brought Steve to Arizona, where he worked in range management across much of the southwestern part of the state.
1: The thing that was really cool, and I'm finally getting to the point that really, really struck my passion on this, is I got a chance to start working with the soil surveys that were being done at the time. They were really gearing up doing survey, and the BLM was part of their whole environmental impact work was having the soils mapped, and Soil Conservation uh-huh. Service was doing it for them at the time. And then I got to do this, the range correlation for that, which means... At the time, we called them range sites. Were attached to the soils, and so with those range sites, we identified what kind of plants might grow there, what kind of plant communities would be there.
0: Right,
1: and it was a kind of a new concept to a lot of people in that you got to look at this land in the little pieces that it is versus well, cows do this, this the rest does this and stuff. And well, you know, having cows there or rest there is different. Based on what kind of soils you're looking at, what kind of plant community can be there. So that really excited me. I saw, hey, this is a way we can start talking to people about what can and can't be done on these ranges out there. And so I think that really I was already enjoying it, thinking this is a right. really cool thing to do. Yeah. But that was just like, wow, the icing on the cake. This is really important stuff. And so
0: And you were pioneering participating in how to develop this correlation and work through all of that be very inspiring
1: yeah it was want to make it sound like i was the one that decided how to do this stuff i had some very good mentors but you know i'm starting to see things hey i see this correlation this is really neat nobody's identified this before and vice you know things like that right so so that part that was really 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 neat and then what was so cool about the my most of my career with the soil conservation service which turned into the naturally sourced conservation service I got to marry all of that kind of data to working with the rancher. I could go to the ranch and say, well, this is what I'm seeing based on all the things that I've been looking at here. Yeah. And that really made a huge difference. I mean, you're a rancher. If somebody just comes in and tells you something, you go, well, prove it. How do you know that? Uh-huh. And we had the data. Yeah, We had the information. Yeah. And we could say, yeah. And what you're doing isn't bad. It's just we need to tweak this uh-huh. and, and things like that. So... It was yeah. really
0: cool. Yeah, I would guess that, that along with the passion for you know, learning and understanding about soils and, of course, the vegetation and, and a lot of the other variables that go along with that, for you personally, the relationships that you've been able to participate in and make very meaningful over the years is really important to you. Oh, yeah, definitely. In 1978, the BLM was starting to conduct soil surveys through remote sensing, which involves studying aerial photography and satellite imagery. This technology helped range managers identify different plant communities across the land and observe their condition. Steve was chosen to be the district conservationist in the Ferdonia Field Office on the Arizona Strip. He worked with soils crews and ranchers to try to figure out why plants were growing in certain places.
1: What the soils can and can't do, what that area can and can't do, and it's not just the soil, the physical soil, but it's the climate that comes with it and stuff really, really impacts what you can manage towards. And as an example, there's a lot of ranches around the country that, well, there's not enough cool season grasses. There ought to be more. And a lot of people think, well, they're gone because the cows, the way we graze. Well, maybe. But as you get to and at this, a lot of it's driven by what the soil is will make a big impact on what plants grow there now can i explain exactly why i can tell you the physical things that are there but yeah. why that is i don't know but anyway there's so many things like that it's you always have a new project to look at no matter you know okay i figured out this that as an example needle and thread grass likes to grow on soils that are highly calcareous on the surface Right. Not just in the soil, but in the surface. Yeah. Why? I don't know. But you know what? There's a correlation. It follows 99% of the time. There are some other things that mimic that that you can find too. But anyway, so there's a lot of things like that. Not everything is driven by, you know, the soil properties, but a lot of it is. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is. And so so anyway, there's always some, some new thing to see. Why is there so much rabbit brush out there? Right and things like that. So I ended up being on the Arizona Strip for 15 years, kind of unheard of. Yeah, right, yeah. But it worked out really, really good, and I loved it up there.
0: And you were visiting with all these ranchers up there. All the ranchers. And for the most part, these are folks that had been in that country for a very long time. Forever, yes. And anyway, so there was uh, really a lot of institutional memory that was being shared with you, and then at the same time, you being able to share back with them, you know, information that might be useful for them. And what, what was that like, the culture in north side of the... Arizona
1: you know we started establishing monitoring on ranches over you know as soon as I was up there and literally there was ranches that I watched things like snakeweed who everybody goes through ranges Mm -hmm. is trained that it's caused by disturbance Mm -hmm. it is but you know what really drives it the climate if you have a wet winter wet spring you're going to get a lot of snakeweed if you have a dry winter dry spring especially if you have wet summers it dies Mm -hmm. goes away Mm -hmm. and so you know things like that a lot of those things that you know we were taught by the old timers you know because they had a few years to observe yeah, and a lot of did the best they can you know you, you found out well maybe but maybe not so when you were able to start acknowledging that and then letting the ranchers know that yeah you know what you guys aren't really doing a bad job right you're doing a good job maybe yeah. we need to tweak the carrying capacity maybe not right. and things like that yeah maybe you can you know improve by resting this pasture you know resting a pasture every once in a while and things like that Maybe not. Maybe you don't need to do that. So that, with 15 years on a place like that, you get that chance to
0: observe. In 1999, Steve moved to Flagstaff to work as the area range specialist for the NRCS and soon was offered the state range position. During this time, range sites became managed as ecological sites, which meant taking a broader, more holistic view of the land. Steve became the lead for that approach in Arizona, This led to restoration work on ranches, which on Babbitt ranches meant the removal of trees that were taking over grasslands. In the years to come, that would add up to more than 40,000 acres of forest and grassland restoration on Babbitt's.
1: So the concept behind the rain site was you had this plant community you could always manage towards. You could fix things and manage towards, and that's what you should be doing. Again, a lot of us, as we observed, plant communities can be changed And it could be by, you know, impact caused by humans, but more than likely it's caused by drought, things like you get too many, well, trees growing into into what was not once grassland. You can get to a point where, you know, you can't come back just on its own. You can't just manage it back. And so we ended up creating what we called state and transition models that identified this. The the range site concept was great for land management agencies to utilize, you know, kind of this is what we can, you know, try to manage towards, but they only went so far. And so this, with these state and transition models, it acknowledged that not always can you do that, that you need to, you know, look at what the situation is and then make some calls on how you can get it back and also acknowledge one thing that I think a lot of people, for some reason, I don't know why people, maybe I thought this too, but is that you get to this, you know, this ideal plant community as an example, and it just stays there. If you do everything right, it stays right. there. Yeah. Well, no. We just saw a drought that all the ranchers doing everything right lost 99% of their, their blue grandma, right. 99% of their warm season grasses. Yeah. No fault of their own. Right. And so we understood that plant communities are not static, they're dynamic. And they're always changing, always things, you know, happen. And literally, you can go from one year to the next, back and forth on some of these plant communities based on how, in this country, how winter rain comes versus summer rains and things like that.
0: In 2010, the Arizona Game and Fish Department was looking for a range expert to support the organization's wildlife habitat efforts and to create range health training programs. Steve, who knew more than anyone about how rangeland components interact and work together as a system, the soils, grasses, shrubs, and trees, was the ideal person for the job. Having Steve as Landowner Relations Program Specialist was a great benefit to the Arizona Game and Fish Department and also for Arizona ranchers.
1: So the NRCS actually paid part of the salary at that time. The NRCS wanted more tie-in to wildlife management and somebody that could then help Field office staffs manage, you know, plant communities, habitat for wildlife, get into that a lot more than, than they had been. And then from the game and fish standpoint, I'm doing a little more speculation here, but what I've understood from conversations is they really wanted to tie into the NRCS and its programs, but they also, at least here in this region, in Flagstaff, they realized they weren't plant people. They didn't know how to manage habitat. They, they're taught how to manage game how to manage wildlife, you know, not just game, but, you know, basically the animals. One of the first things they asked me to do was put on range health training, you know, so that these guys could understand a lot of this kind of what it is, what range health is, why, why grasslands, some places have all kinds of shrubs and some places they don't. And things like that. And so they could better know, you know, are we looking at a situation where we can if you know, we work with this rancher, we can change, make things better or not.
0: With your past experiences and all that you've you have done over the years coming in and And then integrating with the landowners and the ranchers and developing those relationships has been really quite meaningful and special to everybody up here. You're not often at the office. And so that's the other thing that kind of came along. You want to be somewhere that you're looking at either soils or grass or trees or or talking to the ranchers out in the field. That's a big part of your day.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I feel very fortunate. You know, I'm sure part of it's, you know, I'm an old guy you know they say he knows what he's doing leave him alone and i appreciate that you know that, that have that support there's things you learn from reading papers being in the office and there's there's a lot of cool things we need to do sitting at the computer to analyze do the planning get things ready that networking with the people that have the money that's pretty important yeah you really do your learning when you're out observing and and seeing the things on the ground and by the way Really cool to to drive out there and and it's one of these grassland restoration jobs we've done and see this huge herd yeah. of antelope yeah. running across
0: it. So it's very fortunate for all of us that that's the way it works out for you. Yeah, there's no doubt. We're very grateful for all of that that you share with us and provide. I want to see if we can switch this up just a little bit and take all of those experiences and the relationships how you've been throughout the years and say, okay, you know, you're visiting with the next generation. And, you know, and you're wanting to share with them, not only some institutional memory, so to speak, you know, some history. And when you approach somebody that's, you know, in their early 20s or whatever age they might be at to uh, be thinking of careers and where do you start and what do you tell them and where do you hope they go?
1: Best thing that's worked for me, you know, and I've worked with you know, quite a few of these people up here as well as you know, other places, Is you get out, you get in the truck, you get out on the ground, and you start talking about what you've seen. You take them to the places and just throw
0: the ideas out to them and let them ask you questions. Let them challenge you. Through his career, Steve has seen dramatic changes on the ground, in the climate, and in approaches for managing land. He also experienced extraordinary advances in technology like geographic information systems or GIS technology, which has greatly improved the ability to store and study large amounts of data.
1: We can't not do the field work, the boots on the ground. We got to keep that in there. But the, I can do a lot more with the technology in that case than I could back in the old day when I had to, had to walk the whole thing to see, hey, what's out here? You know, we had some really crude photography that you could kind of get a feel, well, maybe this was a grassland at one time. But yeah. now I can go through 30, 40, 50 years of photography and see
0: how it's changed in that time. For ranchers and those in land management agencies, Steve says there's a great value in observation from those who have studied the same area of land for years and those who live on the land. He believes in using data to track changes and identify trends and encourages new range conservation managers to study what's been happening on the land through the years.
1: The average rancher spends a whole lot more time out on the ground than any of us agency people. So a lot of it's just getting that person to see what they're seeing, to understand, hey, yeah, you know, this is what happens when I do this.
0: How important is it to have like monitoring programs and other sophisticated data collection processes?
1: I think it's important to be able to have data to say, hey, do I need a lot of monitoring to tell you, Billy, your place is doing this or doing that? No for the kind of thing that I can go to then new range cons coming in this is what I've seen over the last 30 years yeah I need we really need that the other nice thing about monitoring it makes you stop and look it makes you look close it's really easy to drive across the range and say it looks like this or it looks like that or but if you get out of the truck and walk and out and look at it you see whoa wait a minute look at this now, if you start throwing some hoops out or frames out and things like that, and you literally get down on the hands and knees and say, whoa, yeah, look at this, and you clip or whatever kind of monitoring you're doing, you start actually getting some real information. It can really mean a
0: lot. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. There's a lot to be said for collecting information about soil and then having a correlation with the vegetation type and diversity of the grasses and other plants associated with the soil. Um, but climate is certainly uh, kind of the umbrella Uh, for all of it. And you've been doing some work with folks up in Montana, or at least knowledgeable about it, Mm -hmm. and uh, others. Where do you see that side of the information coming in and helping with a lot of this, you know, awareness of the landscape?
1: Right, right. So what I'm hoping would come out of something like that, and I don't know how many decades it's going to take to have enough information, but okay, we had this drought. Going back as far as we can see, what did we have another drought kind of like that? And if it did, how long does it take to recover? What were all the implications of that drought that we can see from that information? And I think right now the data goes back to 84. It seems like a long time to some people. But you know what? It's not. So I don't know how long it's going to take. But that's a kind of that's one of those ways we can monitor and actually have data. Now, just think if we had that kind of information back to 1884. About- this is the remote sensing, you know, the data that Matt Reeves is doing. I think it's really cool. Again, you can look at a huge area for a little bit of money. To try to have that kind of information across as large a landscape as he can look at, or, you know, people can look at with this kind of stuff, by boots on the ground doing it there's no way. So I think it's something that I hope keeps going. You know, in 200 years down the road, hey, maybe these guys are really going to have something, really have something. You know, and if we'd been able to gather data like that back to when cattle were first put on the range, just think how huge that would be. Anyway, I'm all over it. It helps me see as a land manager, the extent of the drought. It's really huge for that. As an advisor to the wildlife managers, how can you advice well if we, we're in a drought you know you guys maybe ought to think about doing something with those elk that's right. a whole new game as hard as it is for a rancher to adjust really hard because it's your pocketbook it's not a pocketbook for the wildlife managers but they got a whole lot of whole lot of public opinion and stuff they got to go through before they could do anything about it and it takes a couple of years that's way too long. But if we had that kind of information that we could see, hey, we had this kind of thing happening before, and this is what happened, that would be a solid basis for people to go to the people they need to, to make those decisions.
0: Right. And a lot of that remote sensing is about what's happened. Right. So it's not really about what's going to happen, but that's what they're hoping to perfect, or at least strive towards, is how do we use this information to move forward, uh, as you say, it seems like when it comes to land management and making decisions and all those other things that really it does come down to that relationship and you have an extraordinary amount of that. And is there anything you'd want to share with everybody that we didn't cover that reflects all of that?
1: I've learned probably as much from the ranchers out there, their observations as I have from you know, my own observations. I mean, you got to use it all. I just think there's so many, many, many ways to learn you got to utilize them all and and the rancher is definitely one of them right definitely and you know i like helping people too that's part of it if i can do a grassland restoration job helps the critters that's really cool but you know what if it helps the ranch it makes it like doubly triply uh, you know exponentially cooler if we can do things that help you know that all these win-win
0: kind of situation that's
1: that's something well, I'd like Steve, to say. Steve,
0: you've been an extraordinary example for folks in the past and, of course, for today. But you're an outstanding example and, and mentor for the future of what really, um, you know, represents uh just terrific range management, land management, and all of that. I just wanted to finish out with this and just say, you know, really with all of that being said in our terrific visit today, your sense of humility, not only as a person, but also in what you know and understand about the environment, really it shines and makes you extremely effective uh, resource and as a person for everybody. So I just wanted to leave you with that. And, um, say thank you very much for this visit today and sharing your life and your thoughts with us.
1: Well, thank you, Billy. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It's been fun.
0: That was Arizona Game and Fish Department Landowner Relations Program Specialist Stephen Cassidy, and you've been listening to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery with Babbitt Ranches acknowledges the Society for Range Management, the Arizona section, providing leadership for the stewardship of rangelands based on sound ecological principles. You've been listening to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches, a monthly podcast exploring all things cowboy essence in land stewardship, conservation, science, agriculture, recreation, business, and community. It's through our efforts of learning and understanding, Babbitt Ranches, a family business and pioneering land company, raises livestock, manages natural resources, promotes science, and participates in the broader community in order to join, share, and to do the very best we know how. Thank you for listening. I'm Billy Cardasco.